Well, good morning and uh, welcome. Happy Mother's Day uh, to you moms out there, grandmothers, aunts, um, women of our church who, uh, who are uh, great mothers and um, uh, just great people uh, to our community. Welcome this morning. We're so glad to have you uh, with us today. Um, it is Mother's Day. And um, my goal uh, for this morning, since we're in between uh, sermon series, is to encourage uh, specifically the women of our community. And I want to take this morning to highlight the role that women play both in God's kingdom and in the church. Uh, Back in the fall, if you remember, we taught through Romans 12 through 15 uh, in a sermon series that we called Embodied. And we were talking about how the Church of Rome uh, gives the framework for how to be the people of God in our divisive, partisan society today. Uh, But we ended at uh, Romans 15. And Romans keeps going. Um, There is a chapter 16, and that is what I would like to highlight today. So we're going to be reading Romans 16, verses 1 through 20. And it says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sincrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my friend, Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampi. Ampilitus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, my dear friend Stachys. Uh, Greet Ampelus, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work very hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet uh, Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and, and his sister Olympus and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss, and all the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. 
but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Now, why in the world on this Mother's Day am I uh, butchering and struggling to read through a list of obscure names from first century uh, Rome? Well, I'm not going to answer that, at least not right away. Um, we'll come back to it in a minute, and there will be a quiz, so, uh, so get ready. Uh, but first, I want to tell a story. It's a personal story uh, of my own. Um, when I was uh, a, a new believer in Jesus, my first experience of life and community in Christ uh, was centered around the college campus. It was part of a campus ministry, many of you know this, and, uh, and this was the, the early part of my walk with Jesus. It's how I learned uh, what it looked like to love people and to forgive and to address conflict and to lead and to shepherd and to... Um, uh, tell people the good news about Jesus as people had done to me. And um, there were times in that environment where men and women gathered separately. We did separate Bible studies and we would talk about individual issues regarding uh, men and regarding women. Uh, but for the most part, ministry was something that we did together. We prayed for our campus together. We led weekly meetings together. We held equal positions in leadership. We strategized about how to take the good news to everyone on our campus. Men and women serving, submitting to, leading together. And I saw women um, doing amazing things. Uh, they, they were amazingly organized leaders. They were gifted evangelists. They were shepherds who cared for students in times of need. They taught the Bible with wisdom and conviction. Um, but as I got older and as I graduated from that, um, that environment and uh, the primary kind of uh, space for my faith shifted from uh, the college campus to the church, I noticed that another shift was happening at the same time. Um, it wasn't a shift in terms of women's um, giftedness or ability. They were just as gifted and able uh, as they ever were, but it, it didn't seem like they had the same opportunities to exercise those gifts as they did when I was in the campus. Certain ministries um, were available and certain ones weren't. There were certain titles that they could and could not have. There were certain things that they could and could not do. And um, just to confess to you, like, I, I was... Um, in many ways oblivious to the shift and when I was aware of it I was perfectly okay with it. Um, at the time I would have said it didn't affect me directly but I think it, in subtle ways it did um, affect me in many ways. Um, but the reason that I was okay with it is because it it fit the, with the way that I had been taught how to interpret my Bible, my many of the voices that I respected. Many of those voices I still uh, respect today, but uh, those voices were saying things about women's place in uh, the church and in ministry and in the kingdom of God, that they were to play um, support roles to men's leadership rather than have equal footing. And, um, and, and these voices were so prevalent and it shaped the way that I saw the Bible so deeply that churches that didn't 
operate according to this idea of um, real, really patriarchy that, that um, pushed back against some of those things and encouraged female leaders, especially the ones that gave titles to those women. I, I would sort of look down my nose at them and think, man, it's a shame that they don't uh, care about their Bibles as much as I do, as much as we do. And yet, um, it was actually the Bible, and specifically Romans 16, that got me wondering if I haven't been looking at this thing upside down and wrong all these years. I think there's better news that we can proclaim, both for women and men, regarding how God intended us to relate to and partner with each other in his kingdom. And so we, we proclaim this good news. That there are no second-class citizens or glass ceilings in Jesus' kingdom. God has done away with the old order of hierarchies and power differentials and has healed the hostility between men and women. Church, we are one body. And so let's treat each other as equals. Let's see and name one another as gifts to Jesus' body. And let's work together as co-heirs and co-conspirators of God's kingdom on earth. So uh, let's look at that list of obscure names. And I want to point out a couple things. I want to look at both the quantity of the women that are represented on that list, and I, as well as the quality of the work that Paul highlights for his Roman audience. So quantity. Um, did you notice how many names Paul name drops in Romans 16? That's the first uh, question on our quiz today. It's actually 27. 27 different people get named in Romans 16 as Paul is wrapping up his letter. Um, How many of those are women? If you've uh, done the the quick math, uh, the answer is actually 10. 10 out of the 27 are women. Now here's the key question. Of the 10 women and the 17 men listed, which group, men or women, gets called out by Paul for the quality of their leadership in the church in Rome? Which one gets more uh, commendations from Paul? The answer is actually the women. Women, um, in Paul's eyes, have done extraordinary work worthy of Paul specifically citing their work. And He's, he's talking actually specifically about the leaders of the church because Paul's never been to Rome personally. He wants to get there, but he hasn't been there yet. And so the only people that he knows in the church are the leaders. He's, he's calling out the leaders of the various house churches that are gathering around the city. And he, uh, and he, and he specifically calls out seven out of the ten women that he knows as being extraordinary workers for Jesus Christ. Now, you might be thinking, okay, what kind of work are we talking about here? Um, They're probably doing womanly tasks. At least that's the way we tend to think about uh, things because we read it through our own culture. So we think, oh, well, these women, they must be uh, leading the children's ministry or organizing the potlucks or fetching coffee for the apostles, etc., etc. Now, um, there's no, there's no unworthy work when it comes to 
the body of Christ. There's no um, more important and less important tasks, but we tend to categorize certain tasks and responsibilities under the category that we would deem as woman's work. Um, but let's look at, at, at whether or not um, these women who are named in Romans 16 actually fit our categories. Okay, so the first one is um, Junia. And Junia is uh, called an apostle by Paul. An apostle is someone who's commissioned to represent the risen Jesus and carry the gospel into new territories. In the first century, there is no title higher than that of the sent ones, the apostles. And this, this has been such a scandalous idea uh, throughout the history of the church that up to the 20th century, Junia's name was actually translated as a, in its male form rather than its female natural form because people didn't think it was possible that a woman could have held the, t- the same title as Paul and Peter and James and others. It's just unthinkable to them that Junia could be an equal with these great male leaders, but she was. uh, Next you have Priscilla, and Priscilla's always uh, named with her husband, but she always gets, um, almost always, I should say, almost always gets listed before her husband whenever Paul talks about this dynamic duo of ministry. And here, Paul says that Priscilla is a co-worker with him, which would have symbolized her equal standing as a leader. And we know some of the things that Priscilla was responsible for. She co-led a house church with her husband, and she helped disciple a popular evangelist by the name of Apollos, who led many, many, many people to Christ. Now, the last one, and I think the the greatest uh, on this list in terms of uh, how her work is represented and what it means for us today is, uh, is an independent businesswoman by the name of Phoebe who's listed first. Now, why is she listed first? Um, well, first of all, she's, uh, she, apparently she's supporting Paul's ministry. So she's somewhat independently wealthy and is able to bankroll the ministry of the church as it goes into new areas. But that's not, she's not just a wallet either. Um, because Phoebe is listed as the courier of Paul's letter. And New Testament uh, scholar N.T. Wright uh, points out that uh, what's true about the way the ancient letters worked is that when you wrote a letter to someone, specifically a letter of uh, the kind of weightiness and importance of the book of Romans, I mean, this is, this is Paul's magnum opus, of, uh, of the gospel and its implications on life as we know it. And when you wrote an important letter like this and you sent it to a community, you wouldn't just mail it uh, with the local post carrier. You would entrust it to a trustworthy friend. And that trustworthy friend isn't just a mail girl who, who delivers the mail and then says, okay, have a great day he or she would have been responsible to both read the letter out loud in all the various house churches around the city. And then she would have been responsible to defend and explain the letter when people had questions and pushbacks about what Paul meant. She, she would have um, been responsible 
to explain and embody everything that Paul was trying to communicate through this letter. I don't know if you realize what that means. It means that the very first expository preacher of the book of Romans was a woman. I mean, if that doesn't blow your mind, I I don't know what will. Paul is being incredibly deliberate about who he's picked for this job. And he even tells the, the Roman church, receive her as you would me. She's an important leader. Now, my point is this. It's not to say that the, the women on this list are superior to men or that women are superior to, to men in general. That's not Paul's point either. The point is that, we have, is that we have seriously misunderstood and misrepresented the role of women in the early church. It just doesn't get talked about as much as it needs to be. And, and, and I point the finger at myself um, first and foremost that I am guilty of, of not... Um, representing women in the way that they need to be represented when it comes to their leadership and their role in the church. And so it, it needs to be said, and um, I'm not the first to say it, but I'll join my voice with others who have. Biblical women aren't just given subordinate tasks and busy work in the early church. They teach, they lead, they disciple, they mentor, they train, They evangelize. Biblical women are filled by the Spirit and given as a gift to the body of Christ to help it mature into the fullness of God every bit as much as men are. And so we declare this good news today, that there are no second-class citizens or glass ceilings in Jesus' kingdom. God has done away with the old order of hierarchies and power differentials and has healed the hostility between men and women church we are one body and so let's treat each other as equals let's see and name one another as gifts to the body and let's work together as co-heirs and co-conspirators of God's kingdom on earth now Romans 16 is not the only place where Paul elevates the status of women it's not the only place where he calls for cooperation and partnership one of the other primary places he does this is in Galatians 3 verses 26 to 29. He says, you are all God's children through faith in Christ Jesus. All of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then he says this bombshell of a statement. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. One. And now if you belong to Christ, then indeed you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. See, each of these uh, pairings that Paul notes are relationships where there has historically been a power differentiation. Um, They're they're unequal uh, relationships. Jews considered themselves superior to Greeks, and they submitted them to all kinds of barriers and obstacles uh, just to be in the faith. That's what Galatians uh, is all about. It's what it's addressing. Um, But there are others, and Paul names them. There are slaves 
who are considered inferior to their free counterparts, and they were subjected to them. They had to um, be uh, dominated by them in many uh, spheres of life. And then the, the one that's relevant to today's topic were women. And women in Roman society were uh, subjected to men. They were considered the property of their fathers and their husbands. They had no voice. They had no vote. They had no standing. Um, they weren't to be uh, respected or listened to or submitted to in any kind of way. So the idea that, that women would be uh, equal to men, that there would be no distinction between the two in Christ, this scandalized the Roman world. It was scandalous to Romans. In fact, um, we know it was because uh, of documentation, historical evidence. Um, there was a Roman governor of the province of Galatia where this very letter was written and he was in charge 50 years after Paul's letter. His name was Pliny the Younger. Um, you may know him by his beer, but, you know, he was around a lot longer than that. And, uh, and he was a, a, a Roman governor of this region. And he was disgusted by Christianity and committed to stamping it out and persecuting Christians. And he wrote letters to, uh, to Caesar in Rome and other officials asking for ways that he could find loopholes for how to stamp them out. Now, why was he doing this? Well, a lot of people think that it was because uh, Christians worshipped a different god than the Roman pantheon. And that was true, and, and that did uh, upset a lot of Roman officials. But what got Pliny's toga in a twist was that um, these Christian churches had women as equals in them, that, that men and women in these communities of Jesus treated one another as equals. They learned from each other and submitted to one another. They met in homes which were considered female spaces. And chiefly among them was that women could be and were leaders of these churches. And to a Roman official charged with upholding Roman ideas about family life and particularly male dominance, something called the pater familius, um, Christianity wasn't just inconvenient. Christianity posed a dangerous threat because it, it imbued women with a sense of significance and opportunity that they never could have dreamed of if it weren't for their Jesus-centered communities. This is what was so radical about Christianity and what set it apart from the rest of the world. Because it set women and men free. Free to be equals. And so just men and women, hear this today. You are free to pursue the calling that God has placed on your life. You're free to play the role that God uh, has gifted you to play in our community. And so if you... It, if you want to be a stay-at-home mom and, and invest in your kids, beautiful. If you feel called to the workplace to start a business as a representative of Jesus, be fruitful and multiply in that endeavor. If you um, are married and feel called to support your spouse as the primary um, 
you know, breadwinner or, um, or if they have a, a, a ministry and you feel called to play a supporting role, then do it. But some of you are, are married or single, especially women, and you want, you, you, maybe you sense um, this calling to develop your gifts and to seek opportunities to lead and teach and guide and disciple and train others. Wonderful. There's space for you here to do that. And we want to know how we can support you and how we can develop you and how we can send you and how we can support. The good news that we proclaim today is that there are no second-class citizens or glass ceilings in Jesus' kingdom. God has done away with the old order of hierarchies and power differentials, and he's healed the hostility between men and women. Church, we're one body, and so let's treat one another as equals. Let's see and name one another as gifts to the body, and let's work together as co-heirs and co-conspirators of God's kingdom on earth. Maybe, uh, maybe some of this doesn't sound like good news to you. I realize even as I'm uh, preaching this that 2020 has been one crazy year and, um, and much of 2021 has been the same. Um, seems like we may uh, see some light at the end of the tunnel, but it doesn't uh, diminish the fact that many of us are tired and stressed and lonely and busier than we've ever been, underemployed. And so the, the idea of stepping into sort of new giftings in a time when we feel depleted or crushed um, or maybe even just unable to dream big dreams, um, what does God have to say to that? Um, not bypassing the way that we feel, but um, how does he want to minister to us if that's our state of mind? And many of us, it is. Well, look at verse 20. And this is the reason I included it today. Verse 20 in Romans 16 says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And I love that Paul says this. Um, he says this to women and men who have endured incredibly poor conditions of life. To women who have been treated as property all their life. By Romans like Pliny and others. Um, people who are experiencing uh, a city that is looking for every opportunity to stamp out followers of Jesus wherever they can be found. And they feel crushed and they feel helpless. And yet in the middle of that, Paul says that the same God who brought peace between Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, men and women, who brought equity and justice to a community carved out in the middle of this terrible uh, environment where nothing you, you would think that the kingdom of God could never thrive. The same God who has done that work will also bring peace through you as you live out these healed relationships with one another. So the, the, the evil of divisiveness and self-glorification that results in people being enslaved and dehumanized it's all propagated by Satan is pushing all of this. And yet, in God's good timing and in partnership with his people, he is putting it to an end. 
this system that crushes you is itself going to be crushed when God puts it under your feet. All of this is possible because Jesus is alive. We, we live and we stand on the other side of Easter Sunday, resurrection, which means Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. And so he leads this work as we cooperate with him. And we do this cooperation as we see one another as equals and as we um, name each other as gifts to the body and call out each other's gifts and support and encourage one another to keep going, keep going, keep going. As we respond today, um, in the light of this good news, I just want to ask, uh, for, for you women who are listening to this today, just I would love and invite you to ask Jesus, where, Jesus, are you giving me permission to dream? Where are you inviting me to dream in spaces and places that uh, seemed cut off or unavailable to me before this good news has hit my heart? Um. And for men, I want to encourage you uh, to do what we see Paul doing here. To give commendations to the women in your life. To name the ways that you see Jesus at work in and through them. To help them gain a greater imagination for how God might want to fill them and partner with them for his kingdom. Friends, we proclaim this good news. That there are no second-class citizens or glass ceilings in Jesus' kingdom. God has done away with the old order of hierarchies and power differentials. He's healed the hostility between men and women forever. And so, church, we are one body, new in Christ. And so let's treat one another as equals. Let's see and name one another as gifts to the body. And let's work together as co-heirs and co-conspirators of God's kingdom on earth as it breaks in. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. You uh, carved out spaces of dignity and honor for women in ways that would have scandalized your, your first followers and the society in general. Uh, thank you, Jesus, for um, maybe just a bit of a new imagination for how women and men um, are called to join together with one another. Not, not to continue the, the hierarchies that we see in society and throughout history, uh, but to be um, people who follow after you and undermine and undo those patriarchies and powers and principalities that continue to hold sway over your people. Lord, would you empower women, the women of our church especially, to be the people who you've called them to be, full of grace and mercy and peace and wisdom and goodness. For your sake and for ours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.